And we're just going to be sticking right there this evening. Amen. Second Peter chapter three, we're just going to begin in verse number one. And in fact, I guess before we, before we get into it tonight, I'll just give you my title of what I want to speak on tonight. And that is, it's really a question. It's a question uh, that is, what kind of person should you be? What kind of person should you be? And it seems like, you know, kind of a personal question, but really this, this question, it's, uh, it is asked in this chapter. It's, it's Peter is the one who really asks this very question and we will, we'll come across it tonight, but let's, um, let's get in just into the word of God beginning in verse number one, as Peter writes here, he says that the second epistle beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Amen. You can just keep your Bible open there. We're going to continue in uh, throughout this evening through uh, many of these scriptures in that chapter. But Peter here, at, at the end of, of this letter, at the end of this epistle, he is encouraging the churches that he's writing to. He says, the reason that I've been writing you these letters, these, this is the second of the letters, that's why it's called Second Peter. And uh, so he says, the reason that I've been writing you these letters is because I want to stir up your mind. I, I want to I stir up. That those things that are in your mind, and he says you've you've got some truth in there. You you've been taught some things. There are some things that have been deposited into your mind, and I want to stir those things up. And you know, if if you stop and think about it, most of most of us who are here tonight, we don't have a knowledge problem. When it, when it comes to living for God, we don't have. A knowledge problem. We, we know quite a bit about the Bible. I would say that the majority of us who are in here tonight, we, we know quite a bit about the Bible. And that's not to say that we know the half of it or a, even just a small portion of it because the Bible is such a treasure trove of things that we could study it. And this is not to say that we should not study the Word of God and try to continue uh, to obtain knowledge about what the Word of God says. But it's not really a knowledge problem that we have when it comes to living for God. But we do at times need to have that knowledge stirred up a little bit. Now, I would say there's, there's some different ways that, that the things of God, the things that we know about God, the things that are scriptural truths, there's a couple different ways that those things can be stirred up in us. You can... You can have these things stirred up in you by going through a trial. When you go through difficulties, everything in life, everything that you believe, everything that, that you're experienced, uh, that, that you've experienced, these things that have, you know, become part of your belief system, all of that gets stirred up when you're going through a trial. And it will, it will cause you to kind of Kind of kick into this spiritual fight or flight mode where, where you're either going to, to run and blame God, ditch all these things that, that used to be your moral compass, used to be the things that you would hold on to or that you, uh, was, would encompass your belief system. So it's, it's either you're going through the trial and you're going to run from God or you grab a hold of those foundational truths and you fight your way out of it. And so we become stirred up and, and that, that's, that's just one way. That's just one way that we can become stirred up. We can be stirred up through trials, tribulations, uh, when they come our way. You can be stirred up when the enemy begins to attack you and, and, and it's a spiritual attack and, and, you know, things just get stirred up in your mind and, 
And I think often in a good way that the word of God, um, it, it, just as Jesus, when he was being tempted, the word of God is what came to his mind. That's what came. That's what he attacked the devil with. That was his defense mechanism was the word of God was stirred up in his mind when the temptation of Satan came his way. So we see things being stirred up in us. It's, uh, I think that there's so many different ways that, that we can have the word of God stirred up. But sometimes you're not going through a trial. Sometimes it's not the spiritual attacks. But it's, it's something that in us we need to stir it up a bit. We need to, we need to think about, you know, what is all this stuff that I know? How is that applying? Am I living it out? Can I, can we stir up our minds? The word of God, it should stir our minds when we read it. This word, it should stir our minds. It should cause us to truly think about, is this really how I'm living? Am I living this word? Am I living the things that I say I believe? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if we really understand and realize how precious of an asset we have right here. I mean, to be able to, to hold this in my hands, to, to, even just, just the fact of having this translated into our common vernacular. The Word of God. I mean, think about it. There, there are actually times, if you read through, uh, through uh, church history, you'll see there, there were individuals who, they were killed for translating the Word of God into a language that the people, the common people could read. They were, they were burned at the stake for doing that. And yet, here we are, we have... We have this access, uh, you know, readily available to us. We are so privileged today to have access to the Word of God. I mean, in the, in the Middle Ages or the, the Dark Ages, there were priests, there were theologians who they didn't even read the Bible. I mean, for hundreds of years. That all they did when they would come and, and study the word, they were just studying the works of other theologians who came before them. And that was, in some cases, just because uh, that's what they, that's what they uh, believed or that's what they uh, held as, as most precious. But also, in many cases, it was just because they didn't have access to the actual word of God. Amen. But we... We have such a beautiful treasure in the Word of God. We have such a beautiful asset, which is the revelation of the Word of God that has been given to us. Amen. Most of you, I think most of us, we, we have access to like, I don't know, like 600 different translations on our, on our phone. You can flip through all these different translations of the Bible. You have, you have not just that, but you have probably multiple Bibles that you own, stacked up on bookshelves in your house or laying on countertops or somewhere or other. And that's, you know, it's just, and just, we are just extremely blessed today. And this word of God, it should stir up our minds. And you know, we, we encourage people to read the Bible and, and many times there's, there's people that beginning of the year kind of set out, anybody ever set out at the beginning of the year to read the Bible from cover to cover? Amen. I think that's a good thing to do. It's not necessarily that the that scripture directs us to do that. It's not a directive from scripture, but I, I think that that it's a good thing to do. But there's uh, really what what I would just what I would encourage is that we need to have a healthy diet of the Word of God in our daily life, a regular diet of the Word of God in our lives, and at least. At least, if you're saying, you know, like, what's a healthy diet? I would say at least we should consume this more than we consume other stuff. We should consume or let this be have more of an effect on us than the other things that we are consuming. I, I mean, anybody ever had one of those days where you're just like around the house and you're picking food off of the table or wherever it's at, it's laying around. Maybe even in your office, if you work in an office, you got food that's stashed away and, 
and you're there and, uh, maybe it was at, for me, I, I think of like after a holiday, after a holiday, you got a bunch of food, a bunch of leftovers all over the place and throughout the day, you know, you're kind of just lounging around and just keep eating throughout the day. And then by the end of the day, you just feel awful, right? I mean, for me, I, I'm, I'm somewhat of a snacker. I'm not, not a huge, um, huge snacker, but if you put a box of white cheddar cheese at Grooves in front of me, and uh, it doesn't matter how full that box was when you handed it to me, it's probably going to be empty by the time I set it down. And, and uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you've done that before as well. Something, maybe it's not that for you, but, but here's, here's the thing. You, just, you feel horrible, and why is that? It's because of what you were eating. Because of what you were ingesting all throughout the day. And the same is true spiritually. The the very same thing is true spiritually. What, if you feel bad, if you feel depressed, if you feel, if you feel down, if you don't, and you can't put your thumb on it, you can't, you can't understand why am I feeling so discouraged? Why am I feeling detached? Why do I come to church and it feels so hard to praise God? Why, why is this? And you can't necessarily narrow it down, but, but how about we look at our diet and say, what is it that I've been taking in? Am I allowing this to be my primary source of, of what is, what sustained me throughout the week? Because if you are, if you are, you're not going to feel depressed. You're not going to feel down. You're not going to feel, not, not to say that those emotions cannot come, but, but, but this will pick you up. This will give you a shot in the arm that will say, I can make it. I can do this. God is by my side. Amen. But when we're just feeding ourselves a junk all day, you're just asking for trouble. So Peter, he says, you need to be stirred up. Stir up your mind, not with the things that reinforce what you already believe politically, economically, not, not socially, not, but stir up, stir up your mind with the word of God. Let the word of God do a quickening work. Let it challenge you. Let it correct you. Let it change you. And so I want to go back, back to the text. In fact, let's just, let's just go back to verse one. Back to verse one. It says the second epistle, beloved, I, I write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. And so in verse 2, verse 2 it says something that, and it's, it's a little bit buried, it's, it's not really, it won't just jump out at you, but what's buried in there is this idea that, that truth, I'm talking theological truth, truth is settled. It has already been settled. It was already given to us in the past. Theological truth is not some ongoing evolution. There, there's, there are Christian groups out there right now that, that they have this slogan. These are some Christian reformed, reformed Christians that this is their slogan that they say reformed and being reformed. Now for you, maybe that doesn't mean, mean too much, but here's what they're saying. In other words, revelation is still in front of us. A lot of times, what they do is they, they determine according to what the culture is saying and how things are defined in culture, the Word of God applies differently in different eras and different times. And different contexts. They would, they would say, you know, so a new wave of culture comes through and you have a new understanding of identity that comes through with culture and, and you have cult, uh, Christian groups that they will adapt their theology to the new way that uh, yeah, pe- a person's identity is being defined. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach some theology, some truth that is continually changing over time. 
In fact, if you read through the epistle of John, John is continually looking backward. He's continually looking back and saying that which was given to us. When? In the beginning. He's always looking back. It's something that has been settled already. Jude, Jude says it this way. He says, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Okay, they were, this is 2,000 years ago you have these people that are writing this. The church that believes that truth had already been settled in the past. And so when we look at them, there's no reason for us to say that truth can, is continuing to change. And that's what Peter is saying here. Peter is saying, I'm writing in order to stir up your mind and I'm wanting to stir it up so that you're mindful of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets. He's speaking of the words which, which were there in the, in the Old Testament and, and of the commandments which are of the apostles of, of the Lord at that time that were speaking to them. And so what he's saying is you have already received truth. You've already received it. It's not evolving. Truth is not changing. You need to get a grip on truth. He, he's saying, and that's why I'm writing to you. I'm trying to stir this up so that you remember the truth that has already been established for you. Human identity. Let me just say, human identity is not evolving. Human sexuality and gender is not evolving. There are some things, and I'm saying this because... Our culture today defines things so differently than how it did even just recently. It is, it is changing so fast and, and how it would identify things and try to, uh, things that, things that go against not just the nature of God, but the, the nature of, I don't know, the nature of man, the nature of, of creation. Just go against nature. Just, just, Normal nature, this, it goes against all these things, but yet that's, that's what they would say is truth. And, and but yet I, I would say truth, it is established. It is set. It's already a package. We've already received the truth. Amen. Let's go to verse three. We're going to be here all night if we don't make our way a little farther. Verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. Or you could, you could translate that same word, mockers. He says they're going to arise in the last days, walking after their own lusts. Okay, now if Peter is saying that 2,000 years ago, how much more are we in the last days right now facing the scoffers? And you know what? I think that the scoffers and the, the mockers today are more dangerous than the ones who were there in the day of Peter. And here's why I say that. Because in Peter's day you had Christians. You had pagans. You had, uh, you had the Jews and the, the half Jew, half Christian uh, kind of bunch. But, but today you have a whole lot of people who would identify as Christians. But they will readily accept and embrace ideas that are so contrary to what real Christianity is all about. And that's, that's the group that I would say is it's such a dangerous People that are scoffers and mockers. That they, prefre- they, they profess Christianity, but they live in a way that is totally the opposite of Christianity. And Peter, he said, your mind needs to be stirred up. You need to know what you believe because there will be scoffers in the last day. Peter said, you need to have your mind stirred up. You need to know what you need, what you believe because there's going to be scoffers that will come in the last day. And today, if you just watch the news, one of the most threatened groups in America today are conservative Christians. I mean, if you think, if you think you have a whole lot of friends in Washington, you are mistaken. And it's true. And I, the truth is, I don't care which side of the aisle you lean on. There are conservative Christians. The way that, that, that I live my life, the way that you live your life, the, the, the beliefs that you hold on to, we are, we are some of the most threatened groups and one of the most threatened groups in America today because we believe and we stand on what the Word of God says. I believe that the Word of God, that there are boundaries that we ought to live inside. And there will be scoffers and mockers that will, that will, that will 
look at us and say, why in the world would you hold on to that belief? Can't you not read what's going around you, what's happening in the world around you? And I say, yes, I can read it, but I stand on this because this doesn't change. I can read what's happening in the world and what they would accept and what they don't accept and what they would call bigoted and, and all kinds of horrible names for, for what I believe and what I would stand on as truth. But I'm not changing this. And it's not to say that I hate anybody because I certainly don't. I love, I love people, but, but there is, there has got to be a stand for truth today, no matter what the scoffers and the mockers would come our way and say, and it's just going to get louder and louder and louder the closer we get to the end days. Amen. I, I, I started to say this a little bit earlier, but there was just, this idea today that our, our our young people our young people today they are they're growing up in a culture that is so different if you are if you are i don't know under under 20 years old you you grew up you're growing up in such a different culture than in any of the rest of us we need to be aware of what's going on around us we need to recognize that that the Things that are being promoted, the values that are being promoted are totally opposite of biblical revelation. They're totally opposite of of the created order itself. It doesn't even match up. It doesn't even make sense. And they're being instructed, our young people, they're being instructed, they're being taught that that is normal. And if you deny that, then you're the one with the problem. That's, That's what... Our young people are being taught, and, and I'm not overstating this. I'm telling you, I'm not overstating this. The young adults and, and down in our church, they have been raised in a very different social context than the rest of us. The way that they see the world is entirely different. The way that the, they see human beings is entirely different. The way that they see and understand and define sin is entirely different. So much so that, that if I... If I were to teach a lesson on the biblical idea of marriage, or if I were to, to a whole range of, of moral ideas, it doesn't even have to be just about that. I, I would be looked at as as many as being bigoted. I'd be looked at as being prejudiced and any other kinds of words that they would throw out. And that's the culture that we live in. That is the group of scoffers that we need to be aware of. And, and now, now I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood. I'm not saying that we need to go and we need to have all these campaigns to go and change the culture around us. Uh, not, not saying that that, you know, all of that is, um, that we shouldn't do any of that, but, but that's not the battle we're in, but we are in the battle to stand our ground. We are in the battle to say, no matter what the scoffers say, no matter what the mockers say, and they were, they're going to come, let us, let the things of the old prophets stand. Let truth that has been established stand. Let me stand on that. I don't care what they have to say. I don't care what the scoffers have to say. I don't care what those who profess Christianity, but they don't live it. I don't care what they have to say. I'm standing on the truth that's already been established. Let it be stirred up in my mind. Let us go on. Let something be stirred up in us that would say, I will not move off of the word of God. Amen. This is what's authoritative. This is what we build our lives on. This is how we define, uh, you know, how we're going to live our lives. So beware of the scoffers. Amen. Let's go to verse Let's go to verse 4. And saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So they're saying, we've been, lot, we've been living and dying for centuries. This is, this is what they're trying to say. That we've been living and dying for centuries and nothing's going to change. It's just going to keep on going and going and going just like it's been going. And they're denying the resurrection and the return of the Lord. These, this is the direct uh, group of scoffers that Peter was mentioning in his day. Those who are denying the return of the Lord. But verse, let's, let's continue in verse 5. It says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, 
the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So he's, he's speaking of the flood of Noah here. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So what Peter is saying is, he's saying, these scoffers, they forget, or they forgot that by the word of God, not only was the world created, but the world was already destroyed once. It was destroyed by water. And so they're scoffing at this idea that the Lord is coming. But if they had any sense of history, then they would understand that the Lord has already done what he said he was going to do before. And he destroyed it by water. And next time he, he, he comes and destroys it, it's going to be by fire. Let's continue in verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Here's the thing, though. He's, he's just not on your timeline. He, he's not, he doesn't have your calendar. He has his own calendar. And so he says, as, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter, he's, he's saying here, he says, do you know why God hasn't pulled the trigger on this yet? Do you know why God hasn't come back? It's because he's waiting on people to repent. And the longer that he waits, the more people that repent. And the longer that he puts off his judgment, the more people that repent. So in other words, don't take this period of grace that we're given as, as just a time where God keeps winking at our sin and he's saying, yeah, 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 you're fine. Keep on sinning. You know, we're going to wait. You got time. That's not why God is putting, pushing this off and waiting for his return. He's doing it for the exact opposite reason, which is that we would repent of our sins. And that there would be more and more people that would have an opportunity to repent of their sins. I'm read just one more verse. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Amen. This is Wednesday night. We have our core here core of our church, I would say, that are, that are here tonight. And you know, how, how many have, have heard the story of Noah? Raise your hand. Heard the story of Noah. Okay. Okay. How, how many of you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, but how many of you believe the story of Noah that it actually happened? Okay. Evidently, the people in the day of Peter, they didn't believe it. Right? Even in, I mean, we can, we can go all the way back to Noah. When Noah was saying that this was all going to happen, the people didn't believe it. The people had, they, 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 you are crazy, Noah. What you are saying, you are an ignorant man. It's telling us that there's going to be water coming out of the sky. You're building this boat here. And what? You have just lost your mind, Noah. They didn't believe it. They were ignoring every warning that he sent their way. He's saying, He's saying it's going to happen. They don't care. I don't know. Maybe some of them somewhat believed, but they, they didn't believe enough to get on the boat. And I don't know. Maybe some of them thought they were going to get a two-minute warning. That's not how God works. He didn't work that way then, and he's not going to work that, that way when the rapture happens. He's telling them, this is Noah, he's telling the people, he's telling them, he's telling them, he's telling them. And then boom, the rain began to come. The door was closed. Come on, the same is going to be true for us. That the Lord is coming again. And we've been told and we've been told and we've been told. And we have a witness, at every single one of us has a copy of the witness that says that the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. And we have the privilege of even having this in our hands. And the Lord is coming, folks. I want you to know that. And Peter, he's writing to them. He's saying, don't you take this patience of God for granted. The reason he's waiting is so that you would repent of your sins. God is 
coming. Don't be like the people in the days of Noah that they didn't believe it. Don't be like them. Our verse, verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Okay, we finally got to the question here. There it is. So he's led all, all that. All that. He says, seeing all this discussion, all these things that we just discussed. Seeing that, what manner of persons ought you to be? What kind of a person should you be? All right? We believe it. He's saying we, you, you truly believe that the Lord is coming. You truly believe that God is coming back for his church. You truly believe that. He says, and now he kind of flips it on the people that he's writing to. Because he had been just kind of talking about the others. But now it kind of flips it on them. And he says, you believe that? You believe he's coming back? You believe that there's going to be a judgment day that's coming? Okay, then what kind of people should you be? I mean, the people in Noah's day, and maybe they were thinking, you know, they were just a bunch of low IQ people. The man says, get on the boat and you'll be saved, and they just wouldn't listen to him. These were just a bunch of stupid people that didn't want to, sorry, I got all the kids in here, I shouldn't have said that word. My boys will get after me. He had a bunch of low IQ people that were... That were out there that they didn't want to hear Noah saying, get on the boat and you'll be saved. That's as easy as it is and the rain's coming. But Peter, he's saying this. It's, you're the same kind of people here. It's coming again. And since it is, what kind of people should you be? The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming back. So what kind of people should you be? And if we really believe that the Lord is coming, then what kind of people should we be today? One, have you ever thought about the coming of the Lord? Anybody in here ever thought about the coming of the Lord? I mean, the, the instantaneous nature of it. Paul talks about how it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. It will, the trumpet's going to sound. The church is going to be caught up. There's going to be a gathering together of the saints that we will be with the Lord. And, and how much notice are you going to get? How much, how much notice do we need? Because we've had 2,000 years of notice so far. And Peter says, knowing that this is going to happen, you need to stir up your mind. You need to forget about the scoffers. You need to figure out, you know, what kind of people you ought to be. And so that question, it rings for us tonight. What kind of person should I be? Knowing that the Lord is coming back, what kind of person should I be? That's a sobering thought. You know, we can get all these questions going on in our mind. You know, if, if I just knew that the Lord is coming back tomorrow, what would I do? Well, you do know. You do know. It might not be tomorrow, but you do know that he's coming. If I knew that the Lord was coming tomorrow, you know, what kind of person would I be today? If I, you know, you, you, you have to live your life. I understand that you have to live your life. And, and uh, if I knew for sure, I probably would. This place would be packed full. Every church in America would be packed full of people if we all knew that the Lord was coming back tomorrow. And we got to live our life. You got to put put food on the table. You got to do things uh, to, to get through life. But and, and sometimes, sometimes the the ready access that we have to the Word of God, it kind of harms us in a way. We become so used to it. We're not so dependent on God. We're not so ready to get out of this this world. I mean, there's some some people. Uh, the, the reality is. Even the poorest people here, the poorest people in our church, poorest people in, in the city of Kenneville, the poorest people here are in the richest, most, they're the, the, more, some of the most rich people in the world. That's the reality. We are a blessed people. We are such a blessed people. And, 
And I think because of that blessing, because of that, we get so comfortable with just living and just going through life. And, 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 and we, we don't, we're not so desperate about God. I just want to see your face, God. I want to be in heaven, God. Come on, because we're not laying down in bed tonight and hungry because we didn't have a meal because, because we're not going through life and we don't have all of these, uh, things that we have today. Uh, you know, because, because we're not the ones who are just want to get out of this world because of the, the, the pain of every day. Sometimes we're just like, eh, I don't know you're coming. But I could, I could use another five, ten years here. I could, I could use, uh, I could use some, some more time here on this earth. I'm, I'm comfortable. I like the life that I have here, but I want you to know I'm on the life in heaven, the life when Jesus comes back is going to be so much greater than anything that we have ever experienced here, that I want to be with Jesus Christ. I want to be with Him. I want to go and spend time, eternity with Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater, so let us look up towards heaven. Let us see and have our eyes fixed on Him. I talked about it on Sunday, looking unto Jesus, and let that be our focus. Let that be our gaze. Come on, what kind of person should I be? I should be a person who's looking to Jesus. I should be a person who's saying, Lord, come back quickly. Lord, I want you to come, Lord, as soon as you can. Rescue me out of this earth. God, I need you today. God, I need you. Well, that's the person that I ought to be. That's the kind of person that I ought to be. Somebody who's looking for his resurrection. Who's looking for it. When at some point. At some point just having knowledge of the word of God isn't going to be enough. It has to be put into practice. It has to be lived out. It can't just be knowledge. We got to stir it up in us and say. Is that all this knowledge that I have. Is it being lived out in my life? Peter said knowing that the Lord is coming. What kind of people should you be? I'm trying to live on the reality. I, I, I am trying to live the way that I should. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor. I had better be making that kind of an effort. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, but reality is I don't know that I'm truly a Christian. If you take that word to its literal meaning, I mean, I believe that I am saved. I'm confident in that because I'm saved by the grace of God. But to say that my life perfectly matches up with the life of Christ, that I'm totally Christ-like, that's some tough stuff. But I make the effort. I make the effort. God, I want to be more like you. I want to be more like you. And those of you who are here tonight, you're here on a Wednesday night, you made the effort. You're making the effort. On, if, you, if you've signed on, if you're watching this online, You've made the effort. I know that's, it's, it's tough sometimes to just make that effort to, to get on, to participate in service. And I'm sure that you would be here in service worshiping along with us if you could. But you're, you're making the effort and, and we all, we, we should make that effort because, because it matters. It matters. It absolutely matters. There is nothing more important. There is nothing more urgent. There is nothing more vital to my own survival in this crazy world than saying, God, I am going to make the effort. I'm going to do what I can to be more like you. Because you're coming back. And I want to meet you. I want to see you face to face. I want to worship around your throne. God, I want to be with you walking on streets of gold. God, I, I want to spend time in your presence. God, your presence here in this, in this world. God, it's wonderful. God, I like, I love being in, being in your presence, but to be there in your presence night and day all the time. God, what a time that will be. Mm. So Peter says, I'm writing to stir up your mind. They're scoffers. What do those scoffers do? They erode your faith. Peter says, they're going to tell you he's not coming. They're going to tell you, well, just keep on going on in life. You've got time. What is that? They're eroding your faith. They're eroding your mind. 
They're eroding your confidence until at some point you're, you're practically an agnostic and you're, you would, may, might even be sitting here in a church pew, but, but in all reality, you're, you're believe, your belief system is that, yeah, Jesus lived. He had a lot of good teachings. He had a lot of good principles. But, you know, someday I want to be with him, maybe. Uh, but, but, you know, that's it's kind of what we can end up with if we listen to the scoffers. If we don't hold to the truth of the prophets and the, those that came before us. And you know, knowing, know, knowing that all of that is true, what kind of life should we live? Peter is connecting the reality of the coming of the Lord to that question. What kind of a life should I live? I want you to notice, Peter is not connecting the appearing of the Lord to a conversion experience. This is important right here. When Peter talks about the coming of the Lord, he doesn't connect it to a conversion experience that you had at one time in your life. That's not to negate the necessity of a conversion experience. But what he connects it to is how are you living your life right now? Because that's what matters. When the Lord comes... How are you living your life right now at that moment? How are you living? That's, that's sobering. That's sobering to, to think of that. That when the Lord comes, it's, it's not about just the fact that I was baptized in Jesus' name and I spoke in tongues once in my life and I repented of my sins. I'm thankful for all of that. But I still need to continue to live for God. To continue to live in a holy lifestyle. To live as a person that has my eyes set on Jesus Christ. I just, I just said, I want to read that, that passage again in verse 12. He says, I'm sorry, in uh, verse 11. Verse 11, he says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? I'm bringing this to a close. I'm going to try to come in for a landing real quick here. So that's the assumption here. It's the assumption. What kind of person ought I to be? One is that my eyes are on him. I'm looking to Jesus. But he says, in doing that, I'm one who lives with a holy conversation. A conversation, it's, it's speaking of our whole conduct, the whole character. Our, our, he says, in our, our holy conduct and godliness and that's that's the perimeter that's the definition that, that's the boundaries of what he says we ought to be somebody who is living with holy conversation and godliness we are set apart peter he talks to about us as being a, a royal priesthood or holy priesthood and, you know we've been set apart for god's purpose for god's use and so what kind of person should i be I should be a person who is holy in all my conduct, that is exhibiting godliness. That's, and we continue in verse 12. He says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we... According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Amen. Verse 12. I don't fully, I'm not going to say that I have a full grasp on exactly what it means when Peter writes here that we are looking for and hasting under the coming of the of God, the hastening. But he says that the way that we live our lives in holy conduct and godliness is by looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord. Somehow, he connects. And I believe through through the Spirit of God as he's riding under the unction of the Spirit that he says 
our desire for God's coming. Our our longing for it and and our, our holy lifestyle and the way that we live in godliness. That it's hastening the coming of the Lord. It's making it to where it, it, it will come quicker. You're longing for it and you're hastening the Lord's coming. By, by our, our longing, there's, there's some kind of a link that is there between our desire for His return and when His return will ultimately take place. And I just wonder, I wonder that if enough of us wanted it badly enough, if God would just come early. You know, it's taken him a long time, but I wonder if he would shorten that up. If we were saying, if we were, if we, if, I wonder if God could be persuaded to come, if his people would desire him enough. And I don't know for sure if he would, but, but how about tonight? Amen. I, let's just, let's just bring this to a close. That's right here. In fact, could we stand all around this place? I want to just end this Bible study here tonight with our hands lifted up, our eyes and our desires on Him. And what, what kind of a person should I be knowing that God is coming back, that His return is very soon? Amen. Are you desiring His return? Are you, are you expecting His return? Are you praying for His return? Are you prepared for the return of God? Because I believe that Jesus is coming soon. So how should I live my life? How is it that I should come right now? Man, could you just lift up your hands? Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I want you. God, I want to be in your presence. My God, I need you. Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here tonight, Lord, that needs to get some things straight. Lord, that we wouldn't put it off for tomorrow. God, if there's things that in the back of our mind we're saying, I don't know, maybe I'm just living on the edge and I'm going to just chance it for a little while longer, hoping that I can get things turned around at the last minute. Come on, it's the last minute. Let's get things turned around. Let's get as close to Him as you can be. There's some who they just live their lives Within arm's reach of the church. They live their, their lives just sad. I don't want to get too far away. I don't want to get too far away. I want to get out and be close enough that I can return. You know, when, whenever it's needed. But well, the reality is, Jesus, he's not, he's not coming back just for the church as a whole. He's come back for individuals. Come on, you need to get yourself right. You need to get yourself right. God, I need you. If you've been waiting for a two-minute warning of when it's time to kick it into gear, 
on the two-minute warning sound. Lord, it's time to get right with God. Come on, let us as the church, amen, begin praying and say, God, I'm ready. God, we need you to come back, Lord. I'm ready, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to realize that there is a world out there that is so lost. Come on, and God, if you could just, if we could just be your hands and your feet, that somebody, God, could repent, that somebody, God, could come back to you. God, let us play a part in that in these last days. God, let us play our part. God, let us play our part in your return and your soon return. God, let us play our part in this end-time revival. God, let us play our part in this. God, let us play our part with our children, Lord, as we are raising them. Oh, let us play our part, Lord, in this end-time revival, Lord. God, in this church, God, whatever it is, God, that we can do uh, to, to make it possible for somebody to be saved. God, let us play our part. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God is going to come back. That trumpet is going to sound. Amen. He's not coming back just for the collective body of Christ. We're not going to stand before Him as the collective body of Christ. You will stand before God individually. Knowing that, what kind of person should you be? What kind of person should I be when I'm going to stand before God Almighty? I mean, the problem's not our knowledge. You know enough. So Peter says, I'm writing this to stir up your mind so that you realize there's some things that we need to get right. There's some things that we need to get right. Amen. And we still have that time right now, but we're not promised. We're not promised to have much more. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to pray, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn anybody away right now. I, I feel still a, a spirit of prayer, a, a spirit right now of somebody who wants to seek the throne room of God. If you could just, you can just make your way up to this altar if you want to. Amen. I'm going to step away from this, from this pulpit. If you, if you need to go, amen, you're dismissed tonight. But if you want to seek the Lord, amen, you can do so. The Lord is here right now. God is here right now.